Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Faye Mercer and I'm a Stephen minister and a Stephen leader. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Watch over us, holy God, as we take time to pray and to meditate on the continuing impact of Easter on our lives. Jesus Christ has become for us the measure of life. He represents to us your gift of love and eternal life. We are a resurrection people, no longer bound by fear of death, but free to become witnesses to the life. Nourish us to become like trees, planted beside streams of water that flourish and bear much fruit because of your constant attention and abundant provision for our needs. Be known to us here in this hour. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his words, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God. We are the people of God, but scripture reminds us that we still sin and calls us to confess our failures and turn away from our transgressions. But knowing that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us with the Father who freely forgives us through his infinite goodness and mercy and in order to offer ourselves to him in penitence and faith, let us renew our confidence let us trust in his mercy. Let us draw near to God with sincerity and pray together, confessing our sins. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart. 
nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We can rejoice with the Lord with everlasting covenant sealed by his love and mercy. God has clothed all of us with salvation. He has covered us with righteousness. The prophets promised this good news. Jesus Christ lived it and died for it. So we are forgiven. That means, friends, we need to believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In that state of forgiveness, it is wonderful, comforting, joyous to repeat together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I met at least five people coming into the church this morning who had never been here before, so I challenge you to find them and say hello as we greet one another. <laughs>
Ah, didn't time it right, did we? <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are grateful you're with us this morning on this wonderful day that the Lord has given us, the Sabbath, and a chance for us to be together in worship and to rest and to reflect. And we hope that you will find this to be a place where those things can happen as the community of Christ comes together to not only worship, but to be in fellowship. We would love to know your name. If you would sign the friendship pads, which are in the pew, and pass those along to your neighbor and uh, keep looking for those people that uh, Alan was talking about that uh, are first time visitors so that you can welcome them here and invite them maybe into a further conversation underneath the tree. Uh, after our service, some refreshments will be there for you to enjoy. Immediately following this service, we do have a congregational meeting. Uh, so we are going to invite you to uh, remain after the benediction for the wonderful postlude that Jonathan always plays. And then uh, following that, we'll have a very brief three minutes. Um, you can time me, three minutes uh, for our chance to elect uh, a new elder to serve on sessions. So we hope you'll join us for that. A couple of things to look forward to in the near future. Presbyterian women will be having uh, their event telling your own story, though the date in your bulletin is uh, not correct. It's actually gonna be on May the 30th. So put that in your calendars, women of the church. We invite you to join together for a wonderful program and there'll be opportunities to learn more about that underneath the tree as well. Uh, Family Promise is uh, getting started again for the 31st of May, continuing into that week. This is a chance for us to host homeless families in our community, to uh, sleep with them and to uh, be partners with them as they uh, make their journey through this period of time in their life. And uh, we invite you to uh, come along and help us in hosting those families as well as uh, providing resources. There will be a table outside for you to learn more about that. Uh, all those people are wearing t-shirts. My pastor loves it when I sleep in church. So, um, <laughs> but you only get to wear that shirt if you work with Family Promise. I just want you to know that. So keep, uh, keep that in mind. And then just one other community announcement. Uh, we are no longer hearing from our nearby hospitals whether or not you have come into the hospital. That uh, privacy laws have shut down that communication. And so we really are reliant upon you informing us uh, or a family member informing us of whether or not you have uh, gone into the hospital. Unfortunately, we have not heard of people entering the hospital uh, and because we have no means to ascertain, uh, to determine that knowledge, we could use your help by letting us know directly when that event occurs because it is one of our priorities to make sure you're visited while you are in the hospital. So we hope that you'll let us know so that we can provide you that care. Like now to invite the Stevens family to come forward for baptism. It is a great joy always when we have this moment of baptism in the life of the church and our worship life together to remember what it's all about, which, are, which is that we are the covenant community. We are the people of God who gather together having received the covenant grace of God and having extended back our covenant desire to be in relationship with God. And so it is in baptism when we uh, 
recall all of that, what that means for us to be children of God, and what does it mean for us to reach out and embrace all of God's children as we enter into the family of God. So it is great to have Michael and Elizabeth Stevens here today to share their, their wonder with us. Uh, little Alexander Jonathan Stevens, and we are delighted to have the Stevens family with us, and we rejoice as we grow as the family of God into our life together. As I mentioned, baptism is about covenants, and so we make promises. We uh, reach out and claim God's covenant promises for ourselves, as well as reach out to our children for their sake. So to that end, I would like to ask you these questions as you bring little Alexander into our life. Do you reaffirm your own faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you claim God's covenant promises on your child's behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your own? And do you now unreservedly promise and humble reliance upon God's grace to set before Alexander an example of the new life in Christ? And do you, the members of this congregation, in the name of the whole Church of Christ, undertake with these parents the Christian nurture of their child so that in due time he may confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you? We do. And will you endeavor by your example and fellowship to strengthen his ties with the household of God? Will you? We will. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you reached out to claim us to claim us as your children and as your family. We rejoice, O oh Lord, that we get to be about this sacrament of baptism in which we can set yet another child upon the road, the road of grace and mercy, so that someday he may reach out and claim that grace for himself. We thank you for this joy of being a part of the body of Christ and pray that by your Holy Spirit, we may, all of us, renew our own baptisms as we baptize this little boy, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Some things are just too precious. <laughs> Alexander Jonathan Stevens, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father. and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's sing together, Jesus loves me, this I know.
testimony to what this faith family wants to provide for you and for Alexander. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. So we know that as parents, you are the most important influence in your children's lives. We also know as parents, especially as they get older, we are not the only influence that they need. That's the beautiful part about baptism. It's not one magical day. It's a sacramental journey into a relationship with God and into a relationship with all of these people. So we are so delighted to be on this journey with you. And as a token from Family Ministry, we have this Read and Share Bible, a beautiful cross stitch, and a certificate to commemorate the day. And we just hope and pray that you have many, many hours reading God's Word together. Let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, that Jesus does love us because the Bible tells us so, and we're grateful that you have given us this child to take care of. We pray that you will be with his parents, that we all may know of your loving grace in our lives, and that we may all reach out and claim it for ourselves. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you today for your faithfulness and your mercy and grace. You're always there when we need you. You've never turned us away, and you've never failed us. You've never failed to fulfill your promises to us and to your world. In our troubles and trials when the road seemed long, you've been right there with us and you've helped us through. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us, but most of all, we thank you for who and what you are. We want to tell you that we earnestly want to do your will and fulfill your plans and purposes for us. We're available because we've surrendered our lives to you and you can do with us whatever you choose. We're all busy with the, busy with the business of living in the here and now. We have jobs, we have families, we have responsibilities. We get involved in all kinds of things, some of vital importance and some of them are only trivial. So help us, Lord, to keep our priorities straight. Help us to seek first your kingdom and righteousness and let the other things fall into their rightful places. Help us to make the right choices that will count for eternity. We pray for the needs of our church family today. We've all come with individual and very personal needs. Maybe nobody on earth knows about the struggles and burdens some of us are facing, but you know, and you invite us to bring everything to you in prayer. So we each reach out to you, and we know that you're already reaching out to us. We ask you to meet our needs this morning and give us the assurance that you're answering our prayers. We pray for many different kinds of physical needs, financial needs. There are those with emotional needs. Some need healing of relationships and some are grieving and need your comfort. Whatever our needs are, Lord, we bring them to you because you can do something about them. We pray for our community and those that are all around us. 
We pray for our government officials and those in authority over us. We pray for divine wisdom and, and the ability to lead justly and wisely. We pray for a revival of godliness and righteousness and holiness in our country and for the forces of evil to be defeated. We pray for your word as it is preached around the world today, and especially for those of our brothers and sisters who suffer for your name at the hands of ISIS and other terrorist groups. We pray for the dear souls in Nepal that you would heal, comfort, restore, and bring good out of the tremendous loss. We pray for our pastor as he preaches in the services this morning. We ask for your divine anointing on him and the words he speaks, and may we all have open and obedient hearts. And now, O oh God, we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us continue our worship with the offering of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy Father, we work for you in whatever we do, paid labor, volunteer work, our home life, all our time, we invest for you. Thank you for jobs which provide us with an income so that we may share the fruit of our labor with you, knowing that you are the great provider. Use these offerings in your kingdom work, O God, as you provide good news, healing, and hope to all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment with Lori Haas. Thank you. Hey, Grace, good morning. All right, so we're going to put up a little barrier here, and we ask that you not sit in the middle of the red carpet, you can, and not so much up there, kind of on the steps, if you would, because this is such a special Sunday, we are going to recognize all of our acolytes right towards the end of our children's moment, which is almost the beginning of our children's moment. So it goes like this. Acolytes, oh, there goes our little rope. Acolytes have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and the way we use them in this church service is dressed kind of like Sophie is. I got to tell you guys something. Sophie was baptized 15 years ago at the beginning of her journey with God and is continuing now through high school. So I know some of you here are already acolytes because it starts in third grade, but when they come in, the acolyte, with this taper and it's lit, what do they go do? What are they going to do? Sam. Light, one, light, one lights one candle, other lights one, another candle. Excellent. So they're lighting those candles. Does anyone know what those lights represent? What are they trying to show us? Gavin. The light of God. The light of God right here in our worship service. Then at the end of the service, the acolytes come up and then they come back down. They don't actually um, blow that light out until they light the other side of it, like Sophie's doing. Then she would put it out, and when she comes back down, why do you think she's carrying that light with her out of the sanctuary? Do you imagine what she might be trying to represent by taking that light out? Taking the light out into the world. Right, that we take the light of God with us when we go out into the world. So then we have this other thing that we call under our whole acolyte umbrella, and that is the crucifer. The crucifer has one of those main important jobs. What do you imagine she's holding right there? Sophie, what do you think? Cross. A cross. That's our cross. And do you know where it goes? Can you see it over there? Right after the pastors pass by, um, you can see right over there the shiny cross for our whole service. There's one other really important part that our acolytes do, but this is not called a crucifer, and it's not called an acolyte. It's called a beetle. Not like a bug, beetle with a T, beetle with a D, and the beetle brings in that Bible. Can you see the Bible up on the communion table? Do you see how big that Bible is? Yeah, you got to be a little bit older to actually carry that monster in, but it's such a great representation of what we need here in worship and what we need also when we leave with us. So at this time, any acolytes, crucifers, beetles, if you would come down, and I'd like Miss Fran to come down, too. And if you guys would stand up right in front of the communion table, that would be awesome. Thank you. So if you guys see on page 6, I believe we have 35 young people, teenagers, kids that um, serve us in this way. It is so great. Thank you. 
it's all the way through high school, but even our college students come back and help out for special services. So there's one lady who volunteers every single week, Fran Patterson, where are you, Fran? She trains them, she guides them, and she gives them all kinds of love and encouragement. And we want to thank Fran for all of her volunteering in Cooper Max. I don't know which. So let's thank Fran for. <laughs> So Pastor Steve's going to say a couple of words and a thank you. And if I would ask just all of you acolytes after the children's moment, right after he prays, if we would go outside with us, we have just a little gift for you as a token of our appreciation. And Yoko's going to meet us out there with that. You know, it is so important that we get worship started the right way. And as Lori just talked about, you guys play such a key role in everything that we do here because you bring in the great symbols of what our worship is all about. You bring in the light of Christ, you bring in the cross of Christ, and you bring in the word of Christ. Those are the three things that help us to remember exactly what we're all about, which is it's all about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you get to remind us to do that every time to worship him. So we just wanna thank you so much for all the effort you put into making this the great beginning that worship uh, should always be. So how about you give them another mm -hmm. round of applause, yeah. <laughs> And let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for Fran, for Yoko, for all those who uh, have been leading this wonderful effort, our family ministry. We are grateful, Lord, for our acolytes who, who carry out this wonderful word of Christ to us that we can see visibly what it's all about, that we are people of the light of Christ, the people of the word of Christ, and the people of the cross of Christ. And that we may not only be that, but that we might follow that light out into the world, that the world might see that you so love the world that you gave your only son. So we thank you for these guys and for their efforts and for their showing up early and getting us started in the right way. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's go on you out. can follow Lori on your way out. All right. Thanks. <laughs>
seated. Our scripture this morning is taken from two passages in the New Testament, the first from Paul's letter to the Romans, the sixth chapter, verses one through 14. Hear the word of God. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin go on living with it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Our second lesson is from Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 18 through 25. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he replied, well, I've kept all these since my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own. Distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, many of you are aware that in a few days I will be starting a time of sabbatical from Church of the Palms. 
though I think there are at least three people that came up to me today and said, you're still here. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but anyway. Years ago, elders of our church created a policy that encourages pastors every seven years to take a sabbatical leave from their regular duties for the purposes of renewing and recreating and recharging for the next chapter of ministry here at Church of the Palms. It is a generous gift that you offer us and certainly one I gratefully receive, not with any sense of having deserved it, but with every anticipation of what it can mean to a person's life and work. Very few I know get something like this and there are many more deserving of it than I. But the truth is we all need a break from time to time and I'm blessed to be given one. In my absence, we have a wonderful staff team that will have one less thing to do, which is to cover up all my mistakes. <laughs> the truth is you will discover while I'm gone is that what little I really do around here and how little I'm missed. Having taken one of these sabbaticals before in a previous church, what one learns is the sober lesson that leaving for a while is like taking your fist out of a bucket of water. The space gets filled in pretty quickly, which is the way it should be. Pastor Bruce will be serving as acting head of staff and Amy McCullough, our new director of operations who has done a wonderful job over her first six weeks, will lead the administrative side of our church. I will be returning on September 21st, hopefully rested and renewed for a brand new chapter. While I'm away, you can do me three favors, which will put me at great ease. First, you can support our wonderful staff and elders and deacons. You can love them, you can encourage them, and you can remind them over and over again what wonderful servants they are. Church of the Palms is blessed with incredible leadership and they can always use an encouraging word. Second, you can take advantage of some amazing worship that will take place over the summer. Most of you have received in the mail the summer preaching schedule that includes some of the greatest preachers in our country. Dr. Bruce Porter, who served this church for 20 years, will again return to this pulpit several times. Dr. Morgan Roberts, who preached for us this past winter, will be here several times. And Dr. Alan Walworth, a dear friend of mine and our consultant for our upcoming capital campaign and really one of the great preachers of our day will be here as well. And that along with Bruce Hedgepeth and Mickey Brown and Alan Rada, our very own gifted preachers. And on top of that, a wonderful musical ministry led by Genevieve and Jonathan and our choirs. Every, sun, every summer Sunday is going to be a blessing, I guarantee you. The third favor you can do me is to remain very strong in your giving. We are concerned that our projected and pledged giving has fallen behind in the first third of the year. And with summer coming, we can really use everyone's attention and stretch on their giving over the next several months. Before leaving, for example, I will take care of my own giving through the month of September. And maybe you might want to think about doing the same. It would be wonderful to return to a healthy budget. So three things, encourage your leaders, experience great worship and preaching, and stretch yourselves in your financial support. While I'm away, I have a stack of books to read, some writing to do, some blogging and tweeting perhaps, some speaking in different parts of the country, and most of all, time at home with my family. Now, one of the things I get to do while spending time at home with my family is clean a closet. <laughs> there is a closet in our house that I have let get away. 
I know that that has never happened to any of you. <laughs> I remember a time when that closet, though, was my pride. Everything was in its place. There was everything stacked in the right spots, and there were boxes neatly arranged and clothes in their right place. When I walked into that closet, I actually felt good. That is no longer the case. The closet on the cover of your bulletin is not the closet, but it is pretty darn close. And I let it get there. It's mine to own and it's mine to clean up. And it all is a matter of stuff. It's all just stuff in that closet. I look in that closet and all I see is stuff. And what I must do is I must confront the stuff in my closet. I got stuff in there that I don't remember ever having put in there. But that's really what stuff is all about, right? Stuff is that stuff that just kind of stuff and it just gathers and it grows. And before you know it, you have to do something about it. That's why I sympathize with our dear friend in Luke's gospel, a certain ruler, Luke calls him. A certain ruler comes to Jesus and he has some stuff. He's got a lot of stuff. Who knows what the stuff is about, but he's got a lot of it. And while he's not, but he is presenting himself now to a man, to Jesus, as a man who has his act together, religiously even has his act together, obeying all the commandments, but he still has this yearning to come to Jesus, asking him about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus points him to the law and says, well, what about the commandments? Have you followed the commandments? And, and the man says, well, yeah, I have followed all the commandments. I've checked all the boxes of the commandments. And, and then Jesus says this, what about, what about the stuff? What about the stuff? What are you doing about your stuff? Because it seems, Jesus says to the man, that life is getting to be for you about the stuff. And one of the great secrets to the abundant and eternal life is that there is this great journey that Jesus invites us onto, which is the journey of letting go of the stuff. Now, it is at this point that that certain ruler is probably wishing he hadn't asked the question to begin with because he has a lot of stuff and Jesus is telling him that the new and abundant life is about letting it go. And it's now forcing him to confront how important and how comfortable all of his stuff makes him feel. And I wonder if that isn't one of the most important moments of your life and mine, that moment when we are forced to think about how important all the stuff is. The moment when we are invited by Jesus to let the stuff go. Because you know, the truth is, there's more stuff in our lives than what is in our closets. Life has its way, doesn't it? Of having us hold on to more and more stuff. Objects to be sure, but so much more. What I'm talking about is the stuff not just inside our closets, but the stuff inside, right, our souls. Things we hold on to even though they are no earthly or heavenly good. Stuff, right, in our souls. Heavy stuff. Things we hold on to. Stuff like resentment. Stuff like guilt, stuff like old habits, stuff like addictions, stuff like insecurity, stuff like bitterness, stuff like those old tapes that play in the back of your head telling you you're not worth very much. 
Life has its way of collecting a bunch of stuff. And we have the strange way of wanting to hold on to it. But Jesus is here to invite us into the abundant life. And the strange thing about the abundant life is that the abundant life gets more abundant with the less abundance of stuff. It's what I think the apostle was talking about when he talks about being baptized into the death of Christ. Because if there's anything that death does, it has us let go. You can't take it with you, right? No U-Haul is hitched to a hearse, right? We are invited into the death of baptism. That is to say, to let go of the sin, to let go of the stuff in order, Paul says, that we might walk in newness of life. Life is a journey of letting go that we might walk in newness of life. Jesus talks about this over and over again in so many different ways. God is the vine dresser, he says, who prunes away the fruitless branches so that the vine may grow more fruit. God is the refiner's fire who burns away the impurities of life. God is the farmer who knows that the secret to the harvest is the seed that is buried and dies in the ground so that it may bear fruit. Life is a race that requires the runner to, to strip down and lose the weight and sin that clings so closely. The one who wants wants to save his life, Jesus says, is the one who is willing to lose it. Messiah saves us, how? By putting his own life on the cross so that we might live again. The Christian life is the invitation, right, to go into the closets, not only of our homes, but of our souls and confront the stuff and with the help of the Savior to let it go so that the new chapter can begin. No one knew this better than the Apostle Paul himself whose old life was the stuff of law and self-righteous condemnation overseeing the putting down of the way of Christ but then came the moment of having to confront his stuff and letting it go and entering into a new chapter of life. One of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis, and aren't you glad to know that the references to C.S. Lewis will dramatically decrease in the next four months? <laughs> One of my favorite books by Lewis is a book called The Great Divorce, and it's a book about the spirits in hell that are given one more chance to come to heaven and to enter into the heavenly gates. But each of these spirits, when they approach the gate, has a choice. They must make a decision. And one of the spirits, a, a dark and oily spirit, when he approaches, has on his shoulder a big lizard. And, and this lizard is moving around and twitching its tail and whispering into his ears. And, and the lizard em emblemizes for this man, this spirit, lust. It is his lust. It represents his lust. Now a great angel comes out to greet him and says that now he may enter heaven, but before he can enter heaven, the angel must kill the lizard. And the spirit tries to convince the angel that there's, there's no need to kill the lizard. He can just work to keep the lizard quiet so that it doesn't bother anybody else. And the angel says, no, I must kill it. That part of you has to die. 
And the man thinks that the lizard is just an extension of himself. So he thinks that if the angel kills the lizard, that the angel will actually kill him. So he begs to keep the lizard, but finally he gives in and he gives the angel permission to kill the lizard, which he does. And when he does, something amazing happens. The dark and oily spirit begins to change and he turns from a spirit into a real person a real and complete person, an immense man not much smaller than the angel himself. And the lizard, now dead, also starts to change, and it changes into a great silvery white stallion with mane and tail of gold. And the newly created man now jumps onto the stallion and rides into eternity. It's the great secret to life, right? For something to live, something must die. For abundance to come, abundance must go. It would not be a compliment if at the end of my life's journey, what they had to say about me is, boy, you know, all the way to the end, Steve managed to hold on to all his stuff. Good for him. His closets were crammed full, his garage was stacked to the roof, his bank account had obviously more than what he needed, and he managed to hold on to the resentment, the bitterness, the guilt, the lust, the envy, the repeating tape in the back of his head. Good for him, he held on to it all. That would not be a compliment to my life. Would it be to yours? You lack one thing, Jesus says. You got to deal with the stuff. A clarion call, for me at least, as you've given me a season for pause. Brennan Manning was a Roman Catholic priest who discovered along the way of his ministry that servants of the church are not immune to the stuff. And the stuff for him as a Catholic priest was that he was an alcoholic. Alcohol was the lizard that was crawling on his shoulder. And, and he still thought that life could still be good with that lizard up there if only he could just keep the lizard quiet. But then came the visit of the Messiah who said, you lack one thing. You must give it away. You must give the bottle away. And by grace, the Messiah killed the lizard and in its place, a stallion. And on his stallion, Manning became a messenger of redemption and inspiration and newness of life on his stallion. He became the author of the ragamuffin gospel and the furious longing of God in which he wrote these words, the gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, he died, and he rose again with one purpose in mind, to make a brand new creation, not to make people with better morals, but one purpose in mind to create a a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns within, who would live in even greater fidelity to the omnipresent word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, of it all the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes and purifies and sets everything aglow with peace 
and joy and boldness and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend Manning wrote, this is what it means to be Christian. Did you not know that all of us have been baptized into the death of Christ that we might walk in newness of life. May it be so. Following the benediction and benediction response, I invite you to be seated to uh, join us in our congregational meeting, our very brief congregational meeting as we move to new leadership in our church. 
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.